When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. I know absolutely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is the thing that is saddled with me for my entire life, and it has culminated in this podcast, which has been going on for a few years. And so my co-host, who was once the neophyte, now the expert, the skeptic, the voice of the people, Kristen Stuttered. Hi. How's it going, Kristen? It's truly saddled. Absolutely saddled. I would say I am saddled. You got on that horse and I have been saddled <laughs> by this knowledge. Fair enough. Yeah. Keeping with the metaphor. I appreciate that. Thank you. Exciting time for the show. We're, we're deep into nominee season. The ballot's out. We are talking about each of these artists who are nominated this year for the class of 2022. Very excited to bring in our guest with us here today. Uh, she is a music writer, frequent New York Times contributor, Lindsay Zolads. Hey, Lindsay. Hey. Thank you so much for joining us. First thing off the top, have to ask you, you write about music, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a lot of people is a strange institution, peripheral, often. What is your relationship with it, if at all? What's your reference level? What are you coming in here in terms of your Rock Hall knowledge? I would say mostly ignorance and sort of vague distrust <laughs> and dislike. <laughs> My guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's standard. Don't know much, but what you think you know, you're not too thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Now, you've you've never been on the show before, so I think a, a fun way to get to know you is to present to you this year's ballot, and we will play Lindsay's a Rock Hall voter, and you can pick up to five artists here on the ballot, but you don't have to pick five. Oh, I didn't realize that. I did prepare. And oh my goodness. Ooh. And we I have four that. that I was really sure about, but I was kind of like, do I just pick a filler? Maybe I don't. You can but keep it at four. I'll see you how know, I feel in the moment. That's the strategy. But looking at this ballot, mm -hmm. who would you choose? I'll go in alphabetical order so as not to Confuse anyone? Upset, any, <laughs> upset anyone or offend. But mm -hmm. uh, although would maybe my alphabetical would be. I got to go Kate Bush nice. to start. Fela Kuti too. Mm -hmm. Seems like a no-brainer. Dolly Parton, who we will get to quite yes, a bit. We will later. discuss at length. And I'm also going to go with A Tribe Called Quest. And then I'm just going to leave it at those four. You know, and, and that is your right to do that. Yeah. Yes. Don't need sort to push like you. Sort of like how they don't nominate 10 best picture oscar nominees every year which always yeah. feels like such a diss when there's just like nine and imagine you made a movie that you know could have been just, the 10th slot yeah so i'm gonna be that person <laughs> with my rock votes now well it also you know it kind of um what's the word i'm looking for what's the opposite of dilute <laughs> concentrates yeah you're like fortifying mm. your your votes for the your votes. yeah yeah 
them they a matter little, more a little more which is good and interesting was there anybody who almost made the fifth slot I think when I was sort of will I just blurt one out in the moment I was thinking the arrhythmics actually because I've sort of been like going through an any Lennox thing right now I mean I various times of my life I have been but I've been like listening to a lot of her solo stuff lately and just been like yeah Annie Lennox. Yeah, it would be fun to see it. her enshrined. Yeah, yeah. Your, cho- your choices outside of Dolly, I would say, are kind of the more, especially for America, the underground picks, the, you mm. know, dare I say, the cool picks, not the most populous, but the ones, if you know, you know. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> you should. Yeah, that's a, that's a high compliment. Some might also call them the underdog picks as well, too. You I know, like not great shots for most of the ones. I mean, some of the ones that you selected in particular, highly unlikely. We've chatted about Fella is not looking great for induction in the through the voters. Hmm. Not that mm-hmm. he's undeserving. He's very deserving, but just that's we've, not. We've been through a few cycles of this and know that the voting body tends to be what is very popular in America. Mm-hmm. And so that's sadly for Fella and Kate Bush, you wonder what it's going to take for them. You know what's going to take? It's going to take more voters like you, Lindsay, actually voting and getting them in. That's right. Get out the vote, people. I don't know who <laughs> who I'm talking to in this moment, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> part, part of the problem kind of historically is that it, when you get inducted, you get a vote. So all of Journey mm. gets a vote. Every Bon Jovi member gets a vote. And so that tends to perpetuate some cycles of similarity. Yeah, but, I can see that. <laughs> but what can you do other than shrug and hope? Well, I mean, they could give more ballots to more interesting and diverse people. I don't see them doing that. I mean, it was just an idea. <laughs> all right. Well, why waste any more time? Why don't we get into Dolly Parton? And I would love to know, I mean, Lindsay, you've, you've written about Dolly Parton for many different outlets, most notably the New York Times, uh, The Ringer. And I would love to know, what is your personal connection to Dolly Parton and her music? She's just sort of always been there in the culture. Like, I I sort Mm -hmm. of can't remember a time I didn't know who she was. I think there's even a Sesame Street Muppet that was based on Dolly Parton that I think I knew called Polly Darton. Yeah, Uh he's like a sheep or something. Oh my God. I remember this and knowing that name before I even knew the music of Dolly. And then, you know, you come to the persona and yeah, fact check me here. Yeah, I'm looking up Polly Darton. I don't think she's a sheep. I think you might be conflating with- Oh, Dolly, the the clone sheep. With the clone sheep. You might be conflating that, which is named after Dolly Parton. Polly Darton is on Muppet Wiki. Polly Darton. Counting one to five. It's so great that I can do it. Counting well, I'm looking at it now and I'm like, of course, I totally remember that. Yeah, I love an obscure Muppet too. Yeah. That's nothing better than that. <laughs> yeah, and the Dolly look really fits a Muppet very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know how most Muppets just have huge boobs? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> totally. But, but looking at it, I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. Especially at, at like that time in the 80s and 90s, Dolly was kind of a larger than life figure, almost cartoonish in a way, could it's lend true. itself to the model of a Muppet. Yeah, and I think to that point, like I was aware of her as a celebrity and as a famous person before I was really aware of her as a musician and in particularly a songwriter, which I think is like her great brilliance and talent. And I think something that she's only sort of just beginning to get her due in that way. Because I, again, I think the 80s and 90s were like the height of when she was this 
caricature of herself. And we're sort of in a new era of Dolly appreciation now, I think, in the past few years where it's just like everybody is giving her so much of her due, almost too much, but there can never be too much with Dolly, but we'll get there and, and such. So that was kind of the context that I was coming to her first through the the pop culture icon and then eventually to just loving the music. Yeah, I think there was kind of a time, especially in like the 80s and 90s, where she was she was like a ubiquitous celebrity in that way. And she was like a punchline in a way or like a shorthand Her name was shorthand for a certain blonde woman. You know, I think that it was kind of in the late night era Mm -hmm. way that Madonna was shorthand for a certain type of blonde. Dolly Parton was shorthand for another type of blonde. And I think that that was something that we all just like, even if you didn't know her music necessarily you knew who she was or like what she looked like at the very least yeah i i hesitate to make a comparison but it's it's almost on like a charo level where it's just like (laughs) there is a person and you don't even have to know their work or know where they come from to recognize them, to know what they look like, how they sound, all those things. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about like, when is the first time I heard Dolly Partner? Like, how did I know about her? And I truly thought of her as an actor. Sure. I mean, like, she I had a massive from, like, acting Spill Magnolias and from nine to five. I remember just like those movies being on like VHS and stuff in my home. Yeah. And I think that was a big part of that middle era of her appeal where it's she was making records and in some cases really good records during that whole time. But I think 80s and 90s, like she was more primarily known for being a celebrity or being an actress and the music, at least in people's perception or people that weren't following her career closely came in second. And and I don't know that that's the case anymore. I think it's it's kind of flipped a little bit. There's hope for LL Cool J. One day people will think of him as a musician again. And maybe not in due part to the Rock Hall, who featured yeah, his music yeah. really well this last year. But I, I want to talk a little bit about that shift of the things you've written about Dolly that's been the focus, because Dolly is having a a moment within the past few years going from joke to a force of songwriting and and meeting that is much you know less superficial than had been assumed it's true but i also i do think somehow she is underrated as a songwriter still like i think that she's become this sort of icon in like the social media era where she is very sassy on Twitter and will post a Jolene meme here and there or whoever is her social media team or something is pretty savvy but I kind of think some of it's Dolly herself like she knows how to stay on top of the game Mm -hmm. so in some sense she's sort of been reduced to this viral fact or cool photo of her from the 70s or something like she's very like memeable right now Mm -hmm. and I think though still beyond the Jolene's and the I Will Always Love You's which the big viral facts that always gets repeated is she apparently wrote those two songs in the same day Mm -hmm. amazing but also she's really locked in as a songwriter so I believe it but you know I think to go five or ten other songs down on the list of her most popular songs you know there's a lot of good stuff there and I don't know that the increased awareness of her as this cool pop cultural figure in the internet era 
has like trickled down to knowing the b-sides or something and i think it should because she's made so many records yeah she it's so absurd. prolific still going has a record coming out in april exactly so one of the things with dolly's nomination this year you know she could have been nominated really at any point throughout the history of the rock hall but had not been considered until this year. I think partially that has to do with the moment that is happening culturally. But I also think, listen, like Dolly is extremely country. The most country person, I think, to ever be considered for the Rock Hall. But I think it's her status as an icon that transcends genre that is bigger than just country, even though she is pure country, I think she goes beyond that, and that's why it's appropriate to think of her and consider her for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so, like, as we talk about her, there's, like, a ton of stuff we could talk about within the country genre and the country world, and it could and would take us, you know, 73 hours just to get through all that. So this kind of serves two purposes, I think, both for the purposes of the fact that we talk about the Rock and Hall of Fame, and this is about the Rock Hall. And, you know, for brevity's sake, I think it'll be interesting to talk and think about Dolly's place and meaning to the kind of greater music community and to people who aren't just country fans. And I want to talk about the relationship that the Rock Hall has with country. I mean, especially recently, it has felt like country has been one of the few things that the Rock Hall does not include for whatever reason. But there's a few names that have been inducted into both halls of fame. And the Country Music Hall of Fame has existed since the 60s, Rock Hall just since the 80s. But there's kind of the early influence, which is where we see a lot of the early, early country artists go with the acknowledgement that artists like Jimmy Rogers, Hank Williams, Bill Monroe, Bob Wills, did have a significant impact, not only on country artists, but on pivotal and crucial rock artists like Elvis Presley or even artists like Bob Dylan. And then there's the sideman category where you get guys like Chet Atkins and Floyd Kramer, which the, the link there to rock and roll is a little more tenuous. There's only, to me, in terms of the performers, like regular performers, like two straddlers, and it's Johnny Cash mm-hmm. and Brenda Lee. In comparison to Dolly, they have more rock cred. You know, Brenda Lee is considered rockabilly, which is a hybrid between the two. And Johnny Cash has the rock and roll attitude, has at times the rock and roll sound. Has that poster. He's flipping off the camera. <laughs> yeah, right. No, there's there's an attitude there for sure. But there's, you know, the association with Sun Records artists like Elvis and, and Jerry Lee Lewis and Roy Orbison. And then there, what's interesting, though, something I didn't know is that there's some stragglers to the Country Music Hall of Fame that I think didn't make it initially because they were so associated with rock and roll. And so maybe that's the parallel with Dolly here being considered in 2022 because Elvis Presley was inducted in the Country Music Hall of Fame 98, Everly Brothers 2001. And only last year they inducted, and I thought this was interesting, Ray Charles into the Country Music Hall of Fame. And I know what kept them out was their association with rock and roll. I think there's like a, there's a real butting of heads, you know, a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, like famously. Oh, when are the Osmonds getting it? <laughs> <laughs> what am, are they going to put Donnie in one and Marie in the other? Okay. You can't separate them like that. <laughs> yeah, that would be a crime. It would be such it a really crime. Would. But yeah, I, you know, I think similarly, and I'm curious to see I mean, spoiler alert, and we've talked about it already. I think Dolly is a shoe in to get in this year. I'm curious to see if this opens 
doors or if we start to include country a little bit more in the inductees or if this is more like inducting Miles Davis where it didn't really go down any jazz tributaries. It just kind of was a one-off. I would not consider myself a country music fan Mm -hmm. at all. I don't listen to much country, but I am a Dolly Parton fan. So to me, it it really, she feels like her own special category. I mean, she's like in that kind of legend icons only status. And to me, I don't necessarily see this being like, and now the Judds are on the next uh, (laughs) ballot. What about, is Loretta Lynn in it she's not because in a way she feels more rock to me than dolly Mm -hmm. and she had the whole like jack white revival however many years ago that was and she also put out a record last year with some younger and kind of rock adjacent artists so i wonder how much it also is them kind of realizing too late that they haven't put any women in country music in except for brenda lee i guess is she the only one yeah that kind of feels to me like an oops yeah work on that kind of thing but yeah i think that's true they don't think about women well i mean the the conversation with the rock hall has steered towards the criminal lack of women in the hall and I think with that comes what you just said, like, okay, well, what about someone like Dolly Parton? Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there's maybe even a little bit of thinking forward. I mean, this would be pretty far down the line, but imagine inducting Taylor Swift into the Rock Hall and you didn't induct Dolly when you had the chance. It's true. I'm curious to hear, like, where's the separation between pop and rock? Because Dolly definitely has pop records and had a big pop crossover in the 70s and 80s. I don't know that I would say like she has any straight up rock and roll records, but I also wonder like how far the pop stuff kind of veers into that lane a little bit too. Yeah. Like we're pretty solidly in a place where pop is rock, Mm -hmm. according to the hall. I mean, like Madonna is in the hall. Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. It's Janet Jackson. You know, although Janet Jackson also has R&B singles, so does uh, Whitney. uh, Whitney. But to me, like Madonna, for example, is a straight up pop star. She's a pop artist. Her induction just means that. Wow. These opinions that I just Mm -hmm. look at this expert, look at this expert going off. But yeah, I feel like her induction really means that pop is rock. And that is that like, there isn't necessarily like, there's not going to be like a pop music hall of fame. I don't think pop has been absorbed into the meaning of rock and roll, especially Mm -hmm. nowadays with kind of the fact that there isn't necessarily like delineation between pop and rock or rap or anything really. It's just like music has become a a hybrid of all genres. And I think that you can think about like her pop songs also in in the lens of qualifying her for Mm -hmm. the rock. Yeah. yeah, I think that's I do think the pop thing is an important piece of the puzzle here. And it is a is a bridge because, as Kristen said, the, the pop rock connection at this point for the hall is a strong one and they are overlapping. And it seems more and more every year. I mean, you look at this ballot and you look at some of the new names and it's like Lionel Richie and, and Carly Simon and, you know, Dionne Warwick was on the ballot last year and as well as this year. And these are artists who I think squarely fit in that pop genre. And it's another, I think, forward-looking thing of like as pop and rock meld and what the meaning of rock was for so long is being replaced by pop, you have to kind of set the groundwork as you go forward. And so, yeah, I think looking at Dolly Parton specifically in terms of, because she was a major crossover artist. She she charted towards the top 
and often at the top of the pop charts quite a bit. And I think that is enough to convince any naysayers about where she falls in terms of genre. I mean, there's always some country involved. Her voice is just kind of quintessentially country just because of of who she is and what she's accomplished. We associate those things. But let's talk a little bit about the Dolly Parton story. I I know it's a a long one and an oft-repeated one, but I think before we kind of get into things, we can go over some broad strokes. You know, famously born in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Everything I know about Dolly Parton, kind of her like growing up, I learned from the Chasing Rainbows Museum at Dollywood, which is like a museum dedicated to her childhood and life. And then there's like a 3D movie at the end of it starring her where she like comes out onto a porch and all of these magical 3D butterflies fly out at you while she sings. And also if you've ever been to a Dolly Parton concert, she talks about her childhood all the time in between songs. So she'll say things like, well, growing up in the Smoky Mountains, we didn't have two nickels to rub together or whatever. And she's like, but we sure had love, you know, and like talks about the Coat of Many Colors song and how that was in inspired by like a real story from her life of her mom sewing together a coat for her from scraps and things. And she just like really grew up straight up on the mountain in the Smokies. And I feel like that's part of her mythology is that she's like really done right by her people as well. But yeah, I mean, Dolly does a good job of telling her story often and she's told it so many times she has it down to almost like a scripted it's got its jokes Mm -hmm. in there it's she knows exactly how to tell it and make it entertaining and you know tell it the way she wants to tell it and kind of tell it the way we want to hear it as well it's it's always a, a fun and entertaining way you know we had running water if you're willing to run to go get it you know one of those mm-hmm. little little dollyisms that she will pepper in there that's like one of the main things about her that makes her so special and beloved is that she knows how to make the joke before someone makes the joke on her she like understands the absurdity of of what she seems like and is able to kind of undercut anyone who would think they could get one over on her by getting it over already. It's kind of like one of the most charming things about her that she knows how to joke about herself and she knows how to tell a, yeah, she can make a sound bite. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, she got an early start, the the stories of her, you know, performing on the, on the radio at like 10 or whatever and grand old Opry at 13. and, And she was driven to get to Nashville as soon as she graduated high school. A little thing I didn't know about that kind of pertains to our discussion. She wanted to do country, But the label that she was at initially was skeptical that she could do it because her voice was so high. And they thought this seems more suited to pop. You know, this was, you know, early mid 60s, like the kind of rock and roll pop that was happening. And she released some singles that are interesting to listen to because it's unmistakably her voice, but it has like a rockabilly 60s, almost bubblegum pop quality to it. The most popular of those, it didn't crack the top 100, but it was Happy, Happy Birthday, Baby. Happy, happy birthday, baby. And some other ones that, you know, they're fun tunes. Like if you like to listen to a uh, a fun little 60s pop song, turn on Don't Drop Out. It's a 
lot of fun. Not the path she went down, but an interesting detour. And then, of course, there's the most famous thing, her kind of breakthrough was that she became the quote-unquote girl singer for the Porter <laughs> for the Porter Wagner show. And I say that using the language of what they used because, you know, it was very gendered. There could and, only be one. Yeah, right. And she, she did replace a, a woman named Norma Jean who had left in the audience for that show, which this was a very popular syndicated show that had an established audience that knew and liked Norma Jean and hated Dolly because she wasn't Norma Jean. They weren't ready to say goodbye, Norma Jean. Um, thank <laughs> like, you. Like Sir Elton? Like Sir Elton said. But their partnership and as a duo, they were very popular. One best group at the Country Music Awards, which at that point had like just been established. But, you know, she didn't just want to be the girl singer. She wanted to have a, I mean, she was starting to have a solo career while this was happening, but it was still under the guidance seems like too nice of a word, the control of Porter Wagner. And she wanted to break free and do her own thing and not just be Porter Wagner's duet partner. And she did. She broke free. Famously, the song I Will Always Love You is about her telling Porter Wagner, hey, I'm sorry, I got to go, but I will always love you. It's the really kind version of take this job and shove it. <laughs> it's, like, it's the nicest song anyone's ever written about quitting a job, which is, yeah. again, very Dolly. She finds the silver lining. She finds the the warmth and the love in even a situation like that. She really does. Porter Wagner still hated her. Yeah. Uh, for that and leaving him. And I mean, at that point, she had become a big part of the show. Some could argue as as big as him. And for her to leave was difficult for his career. But, you know, you can't blame her. But he did. And he did his entire life. And then at that point, I mean, that she was off to the races. I mean, she had already established herself with Porter Wagner. And then it was huge country hit after huge country hit. But the pop turn didn't really happen until the late 70s. And... It was something that was deliberate. She wanted to cross over, have an appeal to the mainstream audience. New Harvest First Gathering in 1977 was the first attempt at that, which didn't quite hit. But I did think it was interesting that in her attempt to cross over, she started to cover R&B songs. She does My Girl, changes it to be My Love. That didn't hit the pop charts, but eventually she really started to seek out pop producers. And even in some cases, we think of Dolly as such a songwriter, but some pop songwriters. And then she gets to a point where it works and her work is charting on the pop charts, on the album charts and the singles charts. And that's around the same time when she morphs into the icon Dolly. She starts being in movies. She becomes a transcendent pop culture figure. She gets the theme park. Did she always have the boobs? When did she get the boobs? <laughs> I mean, that's like what I also remember her as when I, when I say that she was like the punchline of jokes and things like that late night, they used it as shorthand. It, it was oh, specifically yeah. her boobs. That was the yeah. target. No, she, you know, she was the busty gal in the Porter Wagner days for sure. I don't think it was like really until the pop crossover that she was wearing the kind of cartoonish outfits that really accentuated that. Like, I think that was part of her going pop was commodifying her image a little bit in this way that like you were saying, Kristen, that she could make fun of herself before someone could make fun of her. And that was sort of this power play for her where she knew she was going to be objectified in this new mainstream spotlight. So she made herself so ridiculous and so 
over the top that, you know, it wasn't a threat to anyone in some way. And, but then I think she likes being underestimated because she is a really savvy businesswoman. And while everybody's staring at her chest, she's making the deals. So it worked to her advantage in that way too. And what's interesting is that the things that she was made fun of for at that time, it feels like generationally we have moved beyond any of that shit really mattering. You know, like making fun of someone for getting plastic surgery. At this point, nobody cares it's like everyone kind of does it. So those things have lost their their power. I'm just looking at these 80s album covers and stuff and like thinking about the excess of when she was becoming this larger than life kind of celebrity person. You know, that was the time of excess. It was the time of big hair, big boobs. Mm-hmm big money baby um (laughs) or whatever i'm like just looking i'm like yeah i guess she has an album called white limousine with a z with a z yeah yeah. (laughs) i'm like all right and the cover of rainbow is like wow wow we wow and like you know fake hair it's just incredible i mean we will obviously be talking about her wigs at some point um but i mean talk about them now go ahead feel free here's the thing about her wigs they are legendary and and plentiful i will be continually bringing up my sojourn to dollywood 10 years ago but in the chasing rainbows museum at least there used to be there was a wig simulator where you could put your head in and try on any of the multitude of dolly's different hairstyles and wigs so you could it was like early kind of those things where you put your face in and try on different hairstyles and then also on her tour bus you could tour her tour bus and there was like a whole part of the vanity area that was like very what's her face moira from Shits creek very just like wigs everywhere just styled on all these heads and stuff i think that that is really incredible too to like own being fake mm-hmm. saying like i made this choice and and i don't think that i'm fooling you i'm not trying to fool you why would i i'm having fun i'm doing what i want to do There's a really great quote that one of her Dollyisms where she's asked about her wigs and she's like, yeah, it's great. I can get my hair done and I don't have to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Like it saves her time too. And she's a busy lady. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like maybe that stuff at one point kept her from being taken seriously, but we've had enough shifts culturally where who cares? Yeah. And I, I think that's a big part of this moment of the past decade. It's like you said, the things that she was made fun of in the 80s and 90s, she was kind of ahead of the curve and not caring about those things or even seeing them as kind of a source of like feminine power in some way. So I think the culture kind of caught up to her and she didn't change or she's been like that more or less since day one. So it's kind of cool to see the cultural and generational values catch up to Dolly in her 70s now and still doing what she's doing. It's a beautiful thing to see. Now, when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they do not have any published list of criteria for what makes someone an inductee for how to evaluate these artists. It's impossible, but because I'm a huge nerd, I have reverse engineered a list of categories that I think if you do well in them, you have a decent shot at induction. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll see how Dolly Parton stacks up in the categories. Stacks up is funny in that context. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. she is stacked. <laughs> she is stacked as hell. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you reflected on a moment coming that you thought maybe never would. Now, Dolly Parton became eligible technically 
for the Rock and Hall of Fame the first year she was eligible because she released a single in 1959, her first released recording. So it would have been when she was 13. And apparently she wrote it when she was 11. It's a song called Puppy Love. Come on. (laughs) If they wanted to acknowledge her back in 1986 in the first year of the inductees, they could have. But no, this is her first nomination in 2022. She has never been to an induction ceremony. She has never performed or inducted, given a speech, anything. I'm actually surprised she was not involved with the Linda Ronstadt tribute because famously her and Emmylou Harris and Linda Ronstadt were the trio and put out a few albums under that moniker. And Emmylou Harris was there and they had a bunch of women singing Linda Ronstadt songs in tribute. Dolly would have fit in there, but she was not there for whatever reason. She's got a busy schedule. Who knows? I wouldn't be shocked if they contacted her, but no connection to the Rock Hall as far as I understand. Let's take a look at the first category, iconic slash recognizable songs. Now, if I had to pick what I think is the number one iconic Dolly Parton song, I want to say this would be the consensus pick. I'm like, there's two. I just don't know which is it going to be. Interesting. To me, I think it like, it appeals to everybody. It is, <laughs> you're, you're giving me a look. So now I don't I'm, know. Now I, now I feel like I know which one you're going to pick then. Me I mean, I think it's Jolene. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't. I thought you were going to go the other way. I no. thought you were going to say nine to five. I thought, no, I knew when he said it appeals to everybody because nine to five feels very like a female empowerment anthem. And uh, and it's very pop, but we'll, we'll get to that. But to me, Jolene, I think of that as the Dolly Parton song, a demonstration of her songwriting ability. It has the like extremely catchy and impressive guitar riff at the beginning and it's been covered so many times to me i i would put jolene as the quintessential dolly parton song and a song one where the woman is begging rather than the one where she's like in charge (laughs) 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 no i mean i think jolene is like certainly i mean it's either that or nine to five those are the two And that was a major crossover hit that went to number one. You know, Jolene was her first appearance on the Hot 100, but only went to number 60. Well, and I also feel like nine to five is still played now. Like, and I'm not saying that Jolene isn't, but I mean, like nine to five, you're going to hear it maybe at a wedding. You're going to hear it at an Elizabeth Warren rally. You're going to encounter nine to five, maybe even in a Coles. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear nine to five. To me, Jolene, I don't know where you're going to hear it. I mean, you know it, you love it, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know where it's, it's popping up, not in Target. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And you kind of glossed over it, but there is a political message that's deep within nine to five that will make it a mainstay at, I mean, we, we saw Elizabeth Warren Hillary Clinton, they both used it. It was Elizabeth Warren's like come to the stage music. It was her uh, her campaign song. Nine to five is the title track for the movie Nine to Five, which was a movie based on a women's rights in the workplace organization, which is an interesting path for a pop song for it to start, especially for someone like Dolly who avoids making any type of political Well, it was a really big thing because Jane Fonda was in that movie. Um, Mm -hmm. 
It was Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and her are the three stars of that movie. For her to be associated with Jane Fonda, who was an incredibly divisive political figure, especially at that time, she got a lot of backlash from the country community for appearing with Jane Fonda because people were still upset about the Vietnam stuff. She didn't necessarily do like an apology tour, but she did like an explanation tour where she was like, you know, she's a great woman and I think this movie has a good message. She never was like, I don't think we should have been in Vietnam. Like she never said that. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of like one of the more political things that she's done, but it wasn't mm-hmm. just was about equal pay and like women's rights in the workplace and stuff. And like, it was actually a movie about sexual harassment. Nine to five is about women being sexually harassed in the workplace and treated unfairly and having their labor abused and undervalued. So it was like a politically motivated movie or whatever, but not necessarily. Like, I think it was more the the Jane Fonda thing was really like a big mm-hmm time. Yeah. I mean, nine to five is a farce. There's an underlying message, but it's wacky at times, which, you know, makes the pill go down easy. Yeah. So I think those are probably the two top Dolly songs that people would recognize. And then this next tier are songs that people get to in kind of a roundabout way. I'm thinking, I will always love you. which was a major country hit, but on a massive scale, people know it because the Whitney Houston version was one of the most popular singles of all time. A number one, I think for 14 weeks in a row, which at the time was a was a record deserved honestly yeah, I was like, yeah. sure like we're gonna knock that off the i, I actually don't need to know but you know yeah. and i get this as a Dolly <laughs> fan but i'm also a huge whitney fan but like the definitive version is the whitney version but i also mm-hmm. knew i did not know the dolly version when i heard the whitney version i had no idea that it was a country song the sheer enormity of that single was enough for it to also elevate the dolly version as well And interestingly enough, that song was nearly covered by Elvis. Yes, perhaps Dolly's savviest business move of all time was saying no to Elvis. This is no to Elvis. Uh, And I think she already started to tell her friends like Elvis is going to do the song. But then she found out that Colonel Tom Parker, uh, who will be played by Tom Hanks in an upcoming Baz Luhrmann movie. Wait, uh, what? About Elvis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Not when he was shooting when he got got COVID, COVID, like on that that Australia day. Yeah. Yeah. He was like in his uh, Colonel Tom Parker outfit. Oh my God. I had no idea. So, you know, Colonel Tom Parker was uh, Elvis's manager, also was a crook. And uh, here's one of his crooked moves. He told Dolly Parton that if Elvis covers your song, we now get half the publishing. And that's awful to do. And Dolly stuck to her guns. Yeah. And I think 99 out of 100 artists, especially in that era, would have not done what she did. But it came back around <laughs> with Whitney. Because yeah, ultimately, she would have had half the money she got oh, from, from that. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. We're talking millions of dollars. She's still making that money. That's the smartest thing she ever uh, did. Again. Also, <laughs> I don't want to hear Elvis sing that song. Yeah, but I don't, pe- I don't people certainly to. did at the time. I know yeah. 
excited. They'd probably be excited about it. <laughs> but yeah, very, very savvy move. And then her other number one hit on the pop charts is the duet with Kenny Rogers from 1983, Islands in the Street. Islands in the Street, that is what we are. No one in between. How can we be Get a superstar. And that's honestly, that's how I came to it. That, I mean, you know, me too. I mean, I, I like came to being a Dolly fan later in life. Like most of the reasons that I know about her had nothing to do with music. I just thought she mm-hmm. was like cool, funny, interesting person and like kind of a fun person to be into, kind of like a campy cultural figure. Mm-hmm. And then the more you learn about her, the more you're like, oh my God, she's really one of the smartest, most truly generous, kind people. But Ghetto Superstar, the track from the Bullworth from soundtrack. Bullworth. <laughs> How can Absolutely we forget? All-star soundtrack. <laughs> the song by Praz featuring Maya and ODB. They use the the melody of the chorus. And that's how, yeah, that's how I knew about Islands in the Stream. Obviously, if you were around and listening to music in 1983, that was a massive song and you would know it. But for people, our generation, it was a thing of like, did you know that was a Dolly Parton song? Huh, weird. And not written by Dolly, oddly enough, too. Another big one. It was written by the Bee Gees, which mm-hmm. I only learned that very recently when I watched I, that Bee Gees documentary that was on HBO last year. It's very good. That documentary, and I don't remember that part, but I, and I'm learning. But now that I hear it, I'm like, oh, I can hear that. As no. Totally. Like and they, and they perform it live, too. And they wrote it originally for Marvin Gaye. Ah. And wanted him to, to do it, and it wound up with uh, Kenny Rogers and, and Dolly Parton. Rock trivia right here. <laughs> Yeah. And so those, I think I'll put those four songs like country or not, you are likely to know about those songs, whatever route you take to get to them. And then beyond that, I think the songs that are worth mentioning, there is another, at the time it went to number three on the pop charts. It's not a song you hear so much anymore, but I think it's worth mentioning given how successful it was as a crossover hit. Here You Come Again in 1977. And that's another one. You know, it's interesting. Some of these crossover hits not written by her. This was written by Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, who are Rock Hall Mm. inductees themselves. Great songwriters. Uh, And they wrote it for Brenda Lee initially. Wow. It's all coming back to Brenda Lee. (laughs) Right? Yeah, often. That was 77. So that was the first pop hit that she had. And she even insisted that they add steel guitar to it to make sure that any country fans potentially turned haters that she could have something to say uh, in case they got accusatory point to that steel guitar yeah i'm like well it's country you can't say it's not country because there's a steel guitar in it and then i think worth mentioning songs that you probably know but you have to get a little more deeper into being a, a country fan you know one of her signature songs is coat of many colors my coat of many colors that It's a uh, song about her childhood, mother putting together, not having a lot of means, but taking different rags and pieces of fabric and sewing it together. And she was really proud of it. And then he got bullied about it at school. 
that's on the Rolling Stone list of 500 best songs. So that that shows its appeal to kind of the rock crowd. Interesting. So of mm-hmm. all, is Jolene on that? Yeah. So Jolene's at 63. Code of Many Colors is at 263. Okay. Is uh, 9 to 5 on there? Those are the only two that are on there. Yeah, I would have thought Jolene would be on there for sure. And that's interesting yeah. that Code of Many Colors made it on there. It's what rock people think country is too. You yeah, know? it's almost a folk song. Similarly, like Coat, it, it tells a bit of a story of her origins, kind of a signature song, My Tennessee Mountain Home. Mm-hmm. I would throw up there. And then I'll, I'll kind of open the floor if you guys think I'm missing any or if there's any songs that you just feel are worth mentioning because you love them. Kristen, I know you're a fan of Light of a Clear Blue Morning. I think Light of a Clear Blue Morning is like one of the best songs in existence. I think it's so good. Yeah, and you know, that song doesn't necessarily feel super country to me. It has like a soaring- a gospel feel to yes, it. Yes, it does, it's absolutely. Like a gospel song, for sure. Especially mm-hmm. in the end, it's like got that- feeling to it that is like yeah soaring and the rhythm of it feels very you can like clap along to it while you're on your knees singing (laughs) it it Uh, feels that way to me yeah i love that song and then i got really into this song getting happy which i think has a very fun like very funky opening part like when it starts you're just like what is this (laughs) (laughs) this is quite funky my gal uh and then you know the rest of the instruments come on out and it's a hoedown but like it's very much like got a very funky uh opening beat but i don't know like i think light of a clear blue morning is like a a known song you know i think that that's one that people think of when yeah that's like a fan favorite i would say too i also think the song straight talk straight talk straight talk Maybe I just like remember that movie and I might be one of the only people, but it was like about a talk radio host who's giving it to him straight. Oh yeah. She's like a yeah. radio psychologist or something. This is like pre-Frasier, Dolly <laughs> OG Frasier or something. It's, I don't remember much else about it, but then like there is kind of a fun theme song uh, called Straight Talk. It was probably John McCain's entrance music. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> up the Straight Talk Express. Uh, isn't that funny? It's like a Republican and a Democrat can both use a Dolly Parton song. That's the whole Dolly experience right that's there. That's the appeal. Uh, Lindsay, are there any any songs you want to you wanna shout out? Yeah, I did grab a prop because I'm sitting right next to my record shelf. So this is a soundtrack that I hold near and dear to my heart, which is the soundtrack to The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. One of my favorite feel-good movies of all time. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm in a bad mood, I just put this on and see her like sneaking around with Burt Reynolds in a weird sexy duet where Burt sings. It's great. But a song that I love that is, I think originally from this movie and the performer's credit on the back is Dolly Parton and the Whorehouse Girls, Hard Candy Christmas. like in concert you're gonna hopefully hear yeah and just you know the real the dolly spirit of like we're having a hard scrabble time here right now but we're gonna get through it and because we're together and and that whole thing and I also want to shout out and I think we're gonna speak to her relevance over time but Dolly had this amazing late 90s early 2000s bluegrass revival where she when she was kind of yes. like the grass is blue doing the grass is blue which what a great what a great title for that incredible title and yeah it's a beautiful song about like someone who's in 
such denial that their lover has left them that she's saying the grass is blue and the sky is green. I'm perfectly fine and I don't miss you. The sky is green and the grass is blue. But my favorite Dolly Bluegrass era performance is she did a cover of the Collective Soul song, Shine. Remember that from like 90s uh, alt-rock radio? And yeah. it is incredible. Yeah. yeah, and she actually does that. <laughs> yeah, like she does that. Of course, you have to. It's, it's an important part of the song. That, if you haven't heard that, like it's gonna blow your mind. And well, also it's so funny because the words to that are like religious. I had not even thought of that at all. Like wow. I guess they were a Christian rock band. I never like thought you know, about it too hard oh. before the Dolly. They version, aren't, but but that association has dogged them because a lot of their songs feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, shine or like the world I know. Uh, like I walked yeah. upon high. You know, oh, yeah. Those types of uh, kind of like a, a creative and also vibe. The theme, collective soul. Yes. Yeah. yeah, right. Feels yeah, yeah churchy. Well, Dolly honed in on that. And yeah, she sees I them for what they are. Highly recommend checking that cover out. Well, that helps us to transition to the next category classic albums. Because the, the Blue is Grass is frequently cited as one of Dolly's best from. 1999 and an interesting backstory to that one which was that she had been signed not long before that to Decca Records and they shuttered their Nashville office and then so she was left without a label and kind of adrift was like what should I do and was like I just want to do a bluegrass album you know one of those classic moves where an artist does something just for themselves and then it becomes a a, a massive success and it was a bit of a comeback for her at that time I mean 1999 it's it's kind of crazy uh, and she won a she won a Grammy for it. But I would say of like the peak '70s era, Jolene and Coat of Many Colors are the ones that are considered to be her classic albums. You know, it's so hard. Like normally during this part of the show, I like go through the albums, but she has 51 so studio <laughs> albums and counting 17 solo albums in the '70s alone. Like she was cranking them out more than one a year. Well, you know, she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You in One Day. She's got, she can do it. She's prolific. She's a prolific artist. Yeah, so the only album that she has that was ever nominated for album of the year was the first trio with Emmylou Harris and Linda Ronstadt. I'm curious if you guys think any of those albums are on the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time. I am going to say no. That's my guess. I also do not think that there is one. I think if there was one, it would be Jolene, but I don't think that there is one. Yeah, I mean, Jolene obviously has Jolene on it and I Will Always Love You, but there is one album. (gasps) Can I guess? Please. Now that I know that. Is it one of the ones you mentioned? Yes. Or it's not? Oh, it is. I was going to guess one that's not. So I was going to guess um, my Tennessee mountain home, which is Mm. sort of her, her version of a concept album. Like it's her very autobiographical. It's about her home. Right. Beautiful record, but I guess not one of the 500 best according to Rolling Stone. Code of many colors. Huh. Rolling Stone and the code of many colors. Like (laughs) 
I really had no idea, Joseph, they're coming for you, but like, I'm surprised. It has been on every iteration of the list too. Mm. You know, there was a massive rehaul for, for 2020. And so second part of the guessing game, and you know, we've got three iterations of the list that has the number, but where do you think Coat of Many Colors fell on the Rolling Stone list? 317. Yeah, a great I, guess. Think, I think 412, but I think it went up in 2021 and it's like 390 mm-hmm. for okay. 2020. And I think it's like 390. So I'll, I'll give you the rundown. 03, it was 299. Mm. Damn. And then the marginal 2012 shift, which is always fun because it moves like it moved to 301, devastating. <sighs> and then for the 2020 rehaul, went up to 257. Mm. So squarely in the middle. Wow. And that album, interesting. I'm just like so intrigued about like, what about that one? Yeah. I think it's just like kind of when it happened. Like it was a solid album when she was wiggling out of the Porter Wagner partnership and she was solidifying who she was and what her career would be. And I think that might be why it sticks out and is the example of the quintessential Dolly album. And so we use that as a bridge to the next category, critical acclaim. She appears on a lot of Rolling Stone lists. You know, those lists aren't always necessarily kind to country artists. They tend to be more rock, but, you know, she's on the songs list. She's on the albums list. She's on the greatest singers list, you know, and she's always been beloved. I think, especially with the songwriting skill and the prolific output, it would be difficult for critics to not respect that on some level. Like, even if you're not a fan at the beginning, at a certain point, you got to be like, what she's doing here is extremely impressive. I found a quote from Robert Christgau, who we tend to go back to, self-proclaimed Dean of Rock Critics. This was a review of her Best Of album, which she gave an A+. And said, at least half of these songs have an imaginative power, surprising even in so feckin' to talent. Images like the bargain store and the coat of many colors are so archetypal, you wonder why no one has ever thought of them before psychological complexities of Jolene and Traveling Man go way beyond the winsome light melodramas that are part and specialty. And even when the writing gets mawkish, I will always love you or love is like a butterfly. Her voice is there to clear things up. So high praise. Mm, a plus. Like yeah. A plus for the use of the word mawkish. I mean, we got mawkish. We got second. We've got, <laughs> yeah. which I did, you know, look up a few sources to make sure that I would pronounce that correctly. Yeah. So one of those words you see in writing a lot, but not in, you know what? Not in conversation. I found Lindsay, you're a critic, technically. (laughs) You want to chime in about Dolly's critical acclaim? Anything you have to say? Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to, I think, the theme that we've been harping out of, like, it has changed in the past 10 years or so from what I've observed. It has become a lot more just expected to take her seriously, especially as a songwriter, but as even like a businesswoman making sort of like the decisions that we talked about. Like, I think that's an aspect of her that has been lauded and appreciated more in recent years and kind of, you know, She's a girl boss. <laughs> and always has been. No. What kind of is though? No, I know what you mean. I know there's, you mean. A, there's a girl boss vibe to her. But I think again, I think she's like driving with a lot of the values that like pop culture is really into upholding right now. And it says a lot more about the moment than it does about her because she has always been this way. So I do think she's on like a critical upswing. I I still think she is a little underrated as 
a songwriter and as someone with 51 albums, like I'm sure a lot of people don't realize how prolific she is and, and kind of the knowledge doesn't go beyond, you know, the top five songs that we were talking about. So I think for her to really get her due critically, I think some of those 70s albums, like My Tennessee Mountain Home or Joshua or something like mm-hmm. people, there's like another layer of Dolly that I think we can dig into as an artist. You know, there's just so much there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a Rock Hall induction can ignite a flame, potentially, that illuminates that aspect of her career. This is one of those, I don't know if we're going to do another of these episodes again, but I'm just like, she is a, the hall needs her more than she needs the hall. (laughs) Number one. Oh, for sure. I would place her at one end of that spectrum for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's the headline. We we talked about that when the nominations came out, when the list of inductees comes out, she will be the headline. Uh, The next category, commercial success, we do not have to spend a ton of time on. The number is around a hundred million records, like something really insane like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think she's the most successful artist on the country charts, or at least the most successful female artist, but still on the standard pop charts, you know, she's got six platinum or multi-platinum albums, nine gold albums, six platinum or more selling singles. I don't think I have to convince anybody that Dolly was very commercially successful. Let's talk about longevity. You know, usually we talk about the period when the artist was kind of at their peak, selling the most records when they were relevant. This may be the longest stretch of any artist I think that we've ever done on this show because, you know, she broke through with her first big hit on the country charts, at least like 1970, Mule Skinner Blues. You know, Jolene's 1973, the, the mainstream breakthrough is 1977, 9 to 5 is 1980, Trio's 87. Like, it's hard to tell exactly if and when it really ends because she's been so steady at putting out music. She has had some valleys for sure, but they have always been followed by new peaks. You know, some of the albums she's released in the past 10 years have been in like the top 20 on the albums charts outside of just the country charts. It's really, it's like, I don't know if it's really over. And and we've talked at length at this point about her continued relevance. Well, and then she like gave a million dollars to find a vaccine for COVID. You know, it's like yeah. she, yeah. she's relevant in a lot of ways. Like she has stayed relevant in so many ways, but then has continued to make music. And this is, I think, somewhere that like the LL Cool J problem is so moot with her. It's not that she became more known as like a cultural figure and then stopped being thought of as a musician by younger generations. She has maintained that she also is a musician. She continues to tour. She continues to release new albums. It feeds back into her as an artist. As we mentioned, she has a theme park and has for decades Mm -hmm. and also then she has you know that beautiful thing where she'll just send free books to kids yeah Yeah, the the literacy program in tennessee is years i mean yeah and when we talk about her charitable contributions with the vaccine i mean that yeah that's something that's been going on for a long time and and for a lot of kids in the south and in that area that's one of the only programs that does something like that so that's and dollywood i think the biggest reason she wanted to make Dollywood wasn't necessarily to, I mean, yes, it was to make a theme park about herself, but she also employs like thousands of people 
from this really poor area of what used to be of Tennessee that she's from. And she's like created so many jobs, both Mm -hmm. in the park. And then there's like a whole sort of, you know, the hotels and the rental car places that, you know, like she's created this ecosystem of the place that she came from, like keeping people employed, which is incredible and like really nice change in your own backyard kind of thing. So she's like firing it on all cylinders philanthropically. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. She's like a walking the walk of like really Mm -hmm. giving back and also, dare I say, remembering where you came from. Mm -hmm. She's still Dolly from the mountain. <laughs> Truly, Dolly yeah. From Holler, I guess probably. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, she has not lost touch with what her youth was like, with the struggles of the people who live in rural mountain communities. And it's just like Pigeon Forge is not in the middle of somewhere. I mean, it's close to the Smokies, which is a national park, which is you know very near and dear to my heart. But it's a dry county, also another not so fun fact. The one not so fun fact about Dollywood is that it is in a dry county. Oh, wow. um, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, neither did I, baby. Hold <laughs> <laughs> on in. Nope. Oof. Nope. No, no, keeping it family friendly at all times. And she didn't, it wasn't like she gave a million dollars to develop the Moderna vaccine for headlines. It came out kind of quietly. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like she, she, she didn't tell us. Yeah. I'm like, just gave a million dollars, feel so good. You know, like. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. She comes off as very genuine. For someone that plastic, she sure is real. <gasps> oh, that's a dollyism. That's a dollyism. I feel yeah. like I need one up. <laughs> yeah, it, the longevity is really what is keeping her in the conversation for something like the Rock Hall. You know, I think about other artists that had her success. I mean, I think about like someone like her duet partner, Kenny Rogers who was a crossover success and had huge hits outside of the country charts, but nobody's talking about Kenny Rogers anymore. And people are constantly talking about Dolly and yeah, she's an icon. Uh, Let's talk about the next category influence. You could say like literally every country artist, but I guess for our purposes, we can try to hone in for the sake of the rock hall. I just, I wrote out a list of who outside of country has covered Jolene, the white stripes, Cake, Ray LaMontagne, Lil Nas X, Miley Cyrus, Olivia Newton-John. A nice wide variety of a lot of different types of artists. And you know, when we talk about influence, I think of a certain other young Nashville country star who wrote her own songs and then crossed over into pop. Mm-hmm. A certain Taylor Swift. Hard not to think about her. I don't know if she necessarily set the template for the country mainstream crossover, but maybe she did. I mean, she's certainly one of the the most successful people to do it and did it relatively early. Yeah, I kind of think she did, at least for female artists and for Mm -hmm. of that particular, like I do think the Taylor crossover, which was like fraught with its own generational stuff of whatever was going on in country music at that time. But I think it's easier because of someone like Dolly. Like it was difficult for Dolly to cross over. I think we, it's easy to kind of like gloss over that now because so many people have crossed over from various genres, but there was a lot of anxiety in the, in the country world about her going pop or her leaving country. And there was another great quote where she's like, I'm not leaving country. I'm taking it with me. And you could argue that she did. So. You could argue yeah. that she brought the whole country with her. To t- mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like that, I will, we've talked about this again and again, but it is like, she is one of the most unifying figures in these divided times. 
Uh, oh, Kristen's standing up and there's an American flag yeah. behind her. What just happened? Where'd that come yeah. from? Well, I mean, if she ran for president, I do mm. think that she would win. And I'd also, that she's maybe the only celebrity that I would be okay with it. I hate a celebrity running for president, but Dolly, she's it. The one and only. And it's the one thing, she, it's she would never, ever do it. It's because she'd never do it. It's why anyone who would ever want to be president. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? <laughs> No, for sure. That's what makes her such a good candidate is that she wouldn't truly never do it. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else any, anybody wants to say about influence? I think Miley Cyrus, who is her actual goddaughter. Her literal child, goddaughter, um, yeah. Is like one of the kind of direct descendants. Also, Kesha's mom was a country songwriter who co-wrote, I think a couple Dolly songs, but one of the hits, Old Flames Don't Hold a Candle to You. So she's like a very formative influence there. I think you hear her in Casey Musgraves, particularly like the tone of her voice and the embrace of, you know, the rhinestone glamour and everything like that and, and kind of that independent spirit and stuff. So, I, you know. Like a beloved, like queer icon. You know what I mean? Like For sure. That, like embraces the LGBTQ community. I think of that as like being such an interesting legacy that Dolly also showed is that like you can be an inclusive country star. You know, you can sing country music and you can also, you can be inclusive, which I think is helpful. Because I remember when Lil Nas X put out uh, his cover of Jolene, Dolly reposted it. You were talking about the savvy social media team that she has, like Dolly reposted it. It's like, you know. And she was supportive uh, when he was going through the genre bias Mm -hmm. shit with Mm -hmm. Old Town Road. She was vocally supportive of him and kind of in general acceptance of of everyone, which is, you know, kind of a tenet of the Dolly worldview. Let's go to the next category, artistry slash skill. Another one I don't think we have to spend a ton of time on because we've <laughs> talked about the it. opening guitar from Jolene and let's move on. <laughs> She's one of the great singers. She's one of the great songwriters. Uh, she is in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Full stop. There you go. What more artistry and skill do you want? She's a complete artist. She's insanely prolific, has written so many great songs, continues to do so. Let's do the last category, guys. Maybe the most important category. Does my mom know who they are? And like, I sure hope so. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know your mom personally, but. But you know that she exists. And yeah. uh, yeah, Therefore. (laughs) Therefore, she knows about Dolly Parton, one of the most known people in the world and also like one of the people who has has like a great approval rating if celebrities can have approval rating but they've done studies like that and she's like one of the most beloved figures god she's famous <laughs> she's just one of the most famous people alive i think it's time for the verdict guys should dolly parton get in the rock and roll hall of fame will she get in and will it be this year we'll start with you Kristen. Well, gosh, Joe, I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Surprise us. You know, obviously tons across the board. Dolly is getting in. She's, she is without a doubt the most, the surest thing on the ballot. She's one of the most sure things that I've ever seen on the ballot. She might be more sure than Tina Turner, which I thought you couldn't get more sure than her. I would say maybe not so much, but I think Tina was way more of a slam dunk. I just yeah. mean like on this ballot this year, though, is there anybody more? No, no, you're right in, in saying that she's the biggest slam dunk. 
I wonder if any of the genre bias will hurt her. Ultimately, I don't think so, but I think you're right. Lindsay, what do you think? Should she, will she? I'm going a big hell yeah on every question. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's getting in. She deserves to be in. Yeah, like you said, I think she's going to be the headline when they announce it. And they better hope that she wants to come to the yeah. ceremony. They because it's so nice and easy for her yeah. to there. Mm-hmm. I think she will totally come. You know, I wasn't sure that this was ever going to happen because the hall tends to keep country separate and they have in the past and uh, certainly in the recent past. So I wasn't sure this was ever going to happen. And in general, I don't, perhaps I'm a bit of a rock hall purist, but I don't love including country artists, especially because there's such a backlog of snubs with the rock hall And then if you start to include country, you like double your list of snubs. And then it becomes, there's suddenly this whole list of other great artists that now aren't in this thing that technically you also include. So I've I've always been a little skeptical about country in the rock hall. But I do think, especially with Dolly's pop crossover and her status as a pop cultural force that really transcends country, I think she should. I think she will. And uh, this, it will be this year. And I think she will show up. I know people have asked her about it. She was very surprised by the nomination herself. She said something really cool, which was, she was like, if it happens, I should put out a a rock and roll album. (laughs) And she was like, I've always wanted to do something like that. Something like a a Linda Ronstadt type of album. And she's like, I think that'd be fun. And to know that it's like been in the back of her head for a while, we could get something really cool out of it. I think of the headline of your article in New York Times, Lindsay, is there anything we can all agree on? Yes, Dolly Parton. Yeah. And she gave us the vaccine. I mean, yeah, she's a slam dunk. (laughs) She's She's going in. She's the reason we're still alive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that this would be the first... This would be the first cycle of the Rock Hall ballot since we've been vaccinated. Mm. And so it's just the timing is right. It's going to happen. Let's say she gets in. Let's talk about who will induct her. I think it's going to be one person. I think it's going to be Miley. Yeah. It's her, it's her my, my literal life. goddaughter. And Miley is friendly with a rock hall. She inducted Joan Jett seven years ago. She's the type of person who would do it and should do it. There's a personal connection. And even if they there wasn't that, it's reflected in her music too. Aunt Dolly on Hannah Montana. I mean... <laughs> It's right there. Perhaps I feel like Miley will move heaven and earth to do this, but I guess if there's not an availability there, some of the names we talked about before Casey Musgraves seems like a choice that is hip and cool, which maybe makes me think that the hall wouldn't do it and they go (laughs) with Carrie Underwood, (laughs) you know, someone who would have been hip and cool a long time ago. And then the other ones I thought that would be interesting, you know, Dolly is part of, by my count, Two famous trios. If you get Emmylou Harris and Linda Ronstadt to do it together, that would be very cool. Is Linda Ronstadt doing okay? I know that she wasn't at her own induction because of health problems. Yes. You know, she can't sing anymore, but I believe she could still give a speech. The thing is, still, she didn't show up to her own induction. She maybe doesn't want to participate in stuff like this. And then, of course, the other trio would be Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin doing Mm. a speech, which would be kind of an outside-the-box but also fun speech. Just, you know, Grace and Frankie season four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Any names you guys think would be worth considering my like fantasy would be that it's the big reveal of carl dean her mysterious husband her husband <laughs> oh my god finally steps out in public 
to induct her. It's never gonna happen. But I mean, he just would pulls he pulls off a mask? And is he has he not been seen ever or like in a long time? There are like three photos of him. It's like Bigfoot or something. Like uh-huh. there's like paparazzi <laughs> where it's like. But she did post. I think there's a semi-recent one that she's posted on the internet but like no they've been married I think over 50 years at this yeah. point and clearly doing something right but I also think he's like very hot too like because she's not hiding him for any reasons of embarrassment or anything I've heard <laughs> I've heard Geraldine is hot so what better way to do that big reveal than yeah bring I'm him wondering out on the if he'll be at the table when she gets yeah, inducted right? and we'll I get we'll of- get a shot of him or if there's something in the contract where it's like, like even it's if he's not, there, there's no way. That's but I like that as a choice though. All right, well let's talk about what she would play as, as a set at the show. Usually it's a three song set. In my opinion, you open with Jolene, you play Code of Many Colors. It's her. It's Dolly's personal favorite, and then you close with Nine to Five. Everybody's on their feet. Yeah, exactly. Good. And because it's going to be an all female class this year. Um, <laughs> They all come out and join her. Uh, yeah, you know. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if that's. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know uh, if that's going to happen. It could happen. I do. It as it at least could happen this year. How about that? It's just like Kate Bush has like a ribbon dancer back yeah. there, and it's like <laughs> just hitting high notes. And yeah, it's going to be a beautiful sight. Anything anybody would like to see in the set? Carl Dean taking the mic. <laughs> Yeah, Carl Dean <laughs> is ripping off the mask once and for all. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I would like to, like Clear Blue Morning, I think is like a- Anthemic and yeah. Anthemic, it's got big chorus choir feelings toward the end, you know, that's a possible one. But no, I think that those are going to be the three. I think that would be pretty wise. I wonder if there will be any kind of tribute style, other people coming out with her kind mm-hmm. of stuff, just because she's so popular. If Miley performs with her, like whoever does the induction, it does a duet and yeah, could be. Kenny Rogers comes out. Yeah, I mean, legit though, Kenny Rogers comes out, that like could happen. Kenny Rogers is dead. dead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. His chicken lives on? Did he have a chicken restaurant? Kenny Rogers Roasters? Kenny Rogers Roasters, that's real. Great. Well, Lindsay, I want to thank you for for doing the show. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And I want to give you the opportunity to plug whatever you want, your social media, any writing that's out or coming up that you would like people to see. Hmm. I guess I would just direct people to my writing on Dolly, which um, I wrote, I wrote a piece that I think pertains really well to this conversation about her songwriting that was in book forum last year. And it was particularly reviewing a book that was like about Dolly as a songwriter, this book called Unlikely Angel, that a music professor actually wrote about why her compositions are so advanced and interesting. And it's a fascinating book. And I discussed that a little bit in that piece. So Mm -hmm. just Google Dolly Parton book forum. I think it's the only thing that's ever been written about her on book. <laughs> During forum. songcraft of Dolly Parton. Yeah. Right. And how, how that author approaches it as a musicologist and like from a theory perspective, which is something that Dolly d- does not subscribe to. You know, she has different words for those terms. 
the sorrow chord, you know, the mountain sounds. That's what, those are her references. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting read. Great. Well, our listeners know they can follow us at rock hall pod on Twitter and Instagram rock hall pod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see that you need to designate that somewhere in your message. Otherwise I'm not going to forward it. She does not want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, rate and review us five stars only. We're giving you some deep dives here. If you give us anything less than five, I'll scream. And we don't want that. No. Have cats, it'll scare them. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the rock hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.